0: Okay, um, so today we just have kind of a chalk talk because I don't have any slides prepared. Uh, and what I want to do is uh, review some of our matrix algebra stuff uh, and, and use that to help get started to talk about what we mean when we talk about bias and the variance and all of that, that trade-off that we mentioned before. So before we get going, are there, so, oh, it's not quite time yet, is it? Well, close enough. We'll start talking now. Are, are there any questions or anything that came up? In the homework, or? the homework um, turned out to be more complicated than I thought. Uh, I I just took it from out of a book and I didn't do it first and I should have done it first myself. Uh, you might have noticed you get two really different answers depending on whether you leave that outlier in or not. And the situation is kind of like this. Um, I mean, it's not just like this, but you know, if if there were no effect, you would see something like this. And that's kind of what's there, except then there's this outlier like that. So it, it exaggerates the, the effect that makes it look like there's something going on, when, when there probably really isn't. So, you know, what do we do in situations like that? Well, it's hard to say in a situation where you didn't collect the data. So this turns out to be, what movie was it? Titanic, right? So one way of doing it is to say, well, that's kind of an Well, I mean, one way of saying it is, if we leave it in, then the trend has one big influential point, and it's extraordinarily influential. I mean, The Cook's Distance is just kind of big, but when you keep in mind that it's the difference between a really major association and no association at all, it really is an influential point. So it's probably not too fair to keep it in there at all. Um, And and just arguing that this was an exceptional movie and that, you know, we're unlikely to see something, and maybe what we need to do is consider the case of all blockbusters, because I think none of the others were really blockbusters. Or were they, I don't know. So it, it, it's a tough one. And it's a tough call. But it, it, it seems you know you could kind of fit a model, and, you, and, and the quadratic would kind of go something like this, and you would get the fit. And, and that's one way of looking at it: is that this is maybe the best fit line. And if you did second or third order, you would, you would get something that looked kind of like that and, and had a significant model. The other way is to say, well, let's just kind of say that that is really an exceptional point you know, it was the most money ever spent on a movie, it was the highest grossing movie in this time, and maybe still is, and so without that point there, then for all ordinary movies, it doesn't seem to be any trend at all. So it's, it's uh, it turned out to be a more complicated problem than i perceived. I thought it would just be a simple matter of finding a nice quadratic fit and being able to, to this practice after it turned out not to be so easy. So. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? Yeah. Do you want to do electric- no, no, just one so. okay. uh, um I haven't checked the homework solutions yet, but they m- I may have to, re- to re-edit them a bit. Because <laughs> uh, I can't quite remember what, what this homework solution is. <laughs> Cleaning up. Okay. So now we can start. Um, so let's talk about matrices. I wanted, some of this we talked about last quarter, and we're going to talk about some of it again, but go a little bit further. Um, this is not a, a theory class, and so you're not all expect, you know, I'm not going to ask you to do these sorts of proofs. And maybe some of it is completely new to you and you'll have a hard time with. Uh, so if, if that's true, just kind of soak in whatever cultural aspects out of this you get. Uh, but what I'm hoping is for those of you who do have some experience working with expectations and variances and all, uh, and, and matrices, this will kind of help solidify some of these ideas and make them a little more precise. Uh, than, than they were before. So, um, you know, think in terms of the model. What we usually have is we have this response vector, and we write it as a vector where each, each number that we see, so these may be um, birth weights of babies, and this is the first baby, the second baby, and so on. And we have these in a nice n by one vector like that. Um, the next item in the model is a matrix. So um, it's hard on chalk to distinguish between matrices and other things. Um, some people put little tildes or something underneath, but I'm just going to give context. But, but this is going to be an n, pi, n by p matrix. And let me just kind of write it down first. The first column is going to be a, a column of all ones that's going to represent the, the slope, or, I mean, sorry, the intercept of the model. Next we have, I'm just going to write predictor one. So, so there's a column for each predictor and up to P, predictors. And all we put in here are the values that we observed for each of these predictors. So for the first baby, um, for this first predictor, what what was the value we saw? Um, for the second baby, what was the value we saw in this first predictor? And all the way up to the nth baby. Then we go, so the next predictor might be mother's age, and so, you know, what was that for the first baby, what was that for the second baby, and so on. And then we go all the way down here to, this will be X1P to XNP. Uh, And and this is kind of, is is essentially the data matrix. It stores all all the data. Um, It's often called the design matrix. So you may be hearing people talk about design matrices. One reason they're kind of useful to keep around is, even though we've set it up so that it's just the data, there are some regression techniques where you can modify this matrix and get faster computational time and more accurate computational time. So you start with this and then you modify the design matrix and end up with something slightly different. Uh, The last term, or not quite the last term, is the, the, the vector that holds our parameters in the linear model. So that looks like there's an intercept and then all of the coefficients associated with the P predictor values. So this is a p by one vector. And then the last thing we have is the random part. So this is the, the deterministic part of the model. This is the trend, uh, the structure that, that is determined by the theory. Uh, and then added to this is a bunch of noise. So the noise vector is another n by one vector. And these are just a series of, um, of random variables that have a precise structure. each one of these is going to follow a normal distribution centered at 0 with the same fixed variance. So That's how we write that model down. question? By one matrix, if you have oh, it's the t plus one. 1 by 1, yeah. And also, now that I think about it, this is an n by Plus one. See that's, that's what got me into trouble last quarter. <laughs> the other thing about these, these noise terms is not only uh, do they all have the same constant but they're independent of each other, so they're not correlated with each other. So if we looked at the covariance between epsilon i and epsilon j, that would be zero so one way of putting this all together is that the variance matrix of this vector is um, sigma squared times the identity matrix now I'm not sure if you've seen variance-covariance matrices except that you've seen them in R I mean we've computed them sometimes and looked to see you know, how a whole set of variables are related or er, vary together and the way they work is is, a bent, is essentially, you know, if, if um, you have a random vector like this, then the first entry is how the first um, the first entry is how the first variables is cor- correlate uh, what its variance is, and then um, the diagonals are all the variances. So this is the variance of y one, the variance of y two, and so on. And then off of this are the covariances. So this is how y one the covariance between y one and y two. And it's symmetric and so on. So, so you get this, um, it's just a matrix that contains all the covariances, all possible pairs of covariances, with the variances on the diagonal. So it's just a, 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 a way of bookkeeping. And this is also can be written okay, a little meter, as so the square times the identity matrix. So the capital I is this matrix that has ones on the diagonal and nothing else and it's called the identity because if you multiply it by any matrix you get it's just like the number one you get the same matrix back out so i times any matrix is equal to that matrix any questions what, what you should be able to do is see why this is equal to the model as we've written it down before so you should be able to multiply out those matrices there and see that this model is saying for example that y1 is equal to beta naught plus beta 1 X 1 1 plus beta 2 X 1 2 all the way up to beta P X one p X 1 1 and that Y 2 is equal to you know, you know and, and so on. You should be able to write that out and see that this is a, a nice way of expressing um, uh, a, a set of equations that, that we would get written, written out that way if we did it all by hand. And instead it's, it's much nicer to just write this. Thing down that, that instead of writing out all of those equations. So when we talk about a linear model, this is the linear model that we're talking about, and later we'll see some 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 amendments to that. But this is the basic assumption that we talked about. The deterministic part is a linear function of uh, a, a fixed number of predictors. And then there's this random part that follows a normal distribution, independently distributed. Okay? Well, so the next step after that, and I should warn you too that I I posted these um, notes online so you don't need to take very copious notes unless something catches your attention. Uh, So this handout that I'm using will be online. So the next step was to come up with estimates for these. And remember how we get the estimates was we look. We want to minimize the, the the squared error. So that was the difference between. So the difference between the observed values and the predicted values, which are in vector form. Well, let's just write it like this. So we want to minimize this. We want to find the parameters, beta naught, beta one, beta two, beta three, so on that make this as small as possible. We're going to observe these numbers y, and then we get to choose which values of these are going to make this squared uh, term as as small as possible. So we want this point to be as close to that point as possible on average in terms of of, of squaring. Um, We can write this in terms of uh, vectors like this. and what we're doing when we do this is uh, this, this prime here means the transpose so what we're doing is taking advantage of this nice way of multiplying vectors that um, if you have two vectors this is a uh, so if, if x is an n by um, n by one vector so it's just the thing going down x transpose x is, uh, the transpose of x is going to be one by n so a 1 by N times an N by 1 is going to be a 1 by 1. So this is a scalar. And this just turns out to be the sum of Xi squared when you multiply them all together. So this is a nice compact way of writing down the sums of squares. And that's oops, that's what we're using here. We just write this down as the, the product of two vectors. Want the first one transpose times the second. And uh, we get this nice sum of squares out into a, a compact way of writing this. And, in fact, we can then go to the next step and say what we really want to do now is find beta to make that as small as possible, to make that square there small. How do we do that? Um, If you've taken some multivariate calculus, then you know how to take derivatives of matrices and vectors and that sort of thing. If you don't, then you can do it by writing out the whole system of equations and doing the following. You differentiate with respect to beta naught and you set that equation to zero. Then you differentiate with respect to beta one, you set it equal to zero. You end up with P plus one equations all equal to zero and you solve that simultaneously, which you can do from linear algebra. The answer is this, <laughs> just to skip the chase. So it's x prime x inverse x prime times y. And we've talked a little bit before about how to parse that. I mean, and just this is kind of a rude, intuitive sort of uh, understanding. But x prime x, remember, x primes times x's give us some sort of squared. So we're looking at squaring our, our x's. Um, the inverse is kind of like dividing, so this is looking at a linear combination of the y's times the x's divided by the x's squared or something, something along those lines. And in, in the simple linear regress- in, um, simple regression, this boils down to mean that beta naught is equal to um, y bar minus um, Beta one x bar and that beta one hat was equal to um, well there are all sorts of ways of writing it okay, so there are various different ways of of, of, of uh, writing down these formulas but you know you, we simplify them in terms of the simple regression um, under multiple regression they they look a little different uh, the first two terms are the same but they're not okay so but this is the, the 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 form we want to keep in mind when we're talking about what the uh, what the uh, estimates are that we're looking at, it's this product of uh, matrices multiplied by that one vector. Remember, one thing we talked about last quarter too is well how do we get our predicted values from this? Um, What we're going to do then, so this gives us our our estimates of the parameter but we want to predict, you know, how much the baby will actually weigh. So we want these predicted values of Y. So what we do for that is we take our X matrix and we put in our predicted parameters and so that's just this thing, x prime x inverse x prime x beta half and, let's see if I've got this right, Uh, oh I'm sorry, x prime, I'm sorry I'm just writing, so that's x times beta hat, which is X prime X inverse X prime Y. And we just kind of shifted these uh, grouping symbols around to group them differently and write it like this. So what this looks like now is this matrix is multiplied by Y. And we call this the hat matrix because it takes Y and it puts a hat on it. It turns Y from the observed values of the, of the baby's weights to the predicted values of the baby's weights. And again, this is the thing that if, if you go on, and, and, or if you're now taking 100C, you, you'll learn a lot about the geometry of that particular operation. This is a projection matrix. And what it's basically doing is it's taking the response vector and projecting it down onto the space that's generated by the... Uh, um, the data and giving you the, the, the closest fit in the terms of the projection of one space onto another. So it's kind of a nifty little thing and if you understand that well, it helps you kind of sort out a lot of the geometry that's going on here. Um, but in any case, I, I'm just making this relationship in passing and to remind you what we talked about last quarter uh, of, about the hat matrix. The hat matrix is also this thing that contains... Uh, uh, a measure of how influential the different points are and is what is one of the ingredients in computing Cook's, cooks distance. Okay, so those are the parameters. What we want to talk about now are um, properties. so in particular we want to know what the expected value is of these parameters okay so the expected value is another way of saying the long-term average, the infinitely long-term average is the population average, population mean here this means what value we would get for the parameters if we were to repeat this experiment infinitely many times of taking the sample of North Carolina babies (laughs) uh, fitting the model, estimating the parameters repeating that infinitely many times, this is then the average of all those parameters you know, for o- over each of the infinitely many replications. What we're hoping is that it will be equal to this true value. So somewhere in the, out, out there God determines how, uh, how these parameters are related to the real world and there's this equation out there that we're trying to model. And what we're hoping is that on average we're hitting our target, that this is kind of coming out to the true values. And, and to give you a little foreshadowing, your homework assignment this week is basically to do some simulations looking at this relationship between estimates and, and, and their true values in these linear models. So let's figure out what this is. Um, we know what beta hat is. So I don't know if you've ever worked with expectations and matrices before. Um, the good news is it works pretty much the same as expectations with normal random variables. So you remember, if y is a random variable and a is a constant, what's the expectation of a times y? So constants just get taken outside. If x and y are both random variables, what's the expectation of the sum? Right, sum of the expectations. So the same thing works here. So, in this case, these are just data, so they're fixed, they're whatever data we generated. It's Y that has the random term in it, remember Y is equal to X beta plus epsilon, it's got that randomness in it. So this is our only random term, this is a constant, so this just works so that the constant comes outside, we've got the expected value now of this, this random term. So now all we have to do is figure out what that expected value is, so we've got X prime, X inverse, X prime, expected value of X beta plus epsilon. So X and beta are both fixed, beta is the population variable, you know this is standing for the true value, so the true value is fixed, it never changes, X is the data that we see, Epsilon is our random number here, this is the random noise, that every time we do the study turns out to be a little different. So every time we do the study these numbers are always the same, this changes. So what we get is, again we've got a a sum of two two things, so it's x prime x inverse x prime and the expected value of e times x theta plus the expected value of epsilon. And just us move forward. So let's just carry that out. We've uh, got x prime x inverse x prime. Well x times beta is just the constant, so that stays the same. And then the expected values, remember we set the mean of all this random noise to be zero. So that's just plus zero. So this turns out to be x prime x inverse x prime x beta. So look at, we've got x prime x here and x prime x there but it's inverse. So an inverse times a thing is just one, the identity matrix. So we get this nice thing that it's, they're unbiased. Okay, so there's this one assumption that we hid under the rug. And that assumption is what we talked about last time and we're going to talk about later. That we're assuming that we specified the model right, that we included all of the active variables and we didn't leave anything out. Okay, we're going to, I, the reason I kind of worked through this here is because we're going to work through it again under a different set of conditions where we leave some variables out and see that we get, then, then these become biased. But if you included everything in the model as you should have, then it turns out to be an unbiased estimate and you, you get what you should get. Okay, so that's a lot of matrix algebra and if you haven't seen it before, well, you'll see it again someday, but this is a good place to start. The other thing we need to look at are the variances. So let's just review how variances work with scalars. So if I have the variance of a constant times a random variable, what's that? Right, A squared. matrices, this is the one thing that's a little different, that it looks a little odd. So, if Y is a vector let's make this an N by one vector and X is a um, E by N matrix then the variance of X times Y so random, this one's random. And this is a fixed. So X is a vector matrix of constants. Y is a vector of random numbers. So these are the random birth weights, and these are the fixed, fixed data. This variance turns out to be X times the variance of Y times X prime. So instead of squaring the constant, you break it into two pieces, and it's the constant out front and the constant transposed at the end. So it's a little different from, uh, from what you've seen before. And that's something that actually, if you, um, if you just work it out algebraically, doing, you know, turns this into a, you know, do like a two by two matrix or something like that, you'll, you'll see how it works out that way. Um, But you can also kind of, a small matrix, a set of numbers like a 2 by 2 for something like this. You can multiply this out and see that it comes out to be what you expect it to be. So it's really just a generalization of the a squared times variance of X rule, but it looks a little different. What does it say? X is a a fixed matrix. So X is our our matrix of constants, and Y is a random vector. So a constant times a random number the variance is the constant times the variance times the constant transpose. So that's just a little bit of matrix algebra there. Uh, what are we going to do with it? We want to find out what the variance of the data hats are. We want to find how these things vary. So that means we want to find the variance of x prime x inverse x prime y. So this is our constant, and this is the random fit. So the constant comes outside, then we have to find the variance of the random part, and then we do the constant transpose. at this from left to right. So we're going to leave the left part alone for a moment. And now the variance of Y. Y is just X times beta plus epsilon. And then we've got this thing here, X times X inverse X times X. X beta is a constant. What's the variance of a constant? Zero. And the variance of the the noise, sigma squared times i, because it's a matrix now. So, So this just becomes x prime, x inverse, x prime, sigma squared times i. We can take that sigma squared outside and multiplying everything by i just leaves everything unchanged. So we get sigma squared times X X X x prime x inverse x prime x prime x inverse x prime, the whole thing prime. So now here's the bit where I wish we had just done linear algebra and this would all be much more clear in your mind, but do you remember how to take the transpose of multiplying matrices? You, you reverse the order. You transpose them in the reverse order. So this is first you, transpose, first you transpose this one. So you do X prime prime. Then you transpose this one. X prime X inverse prime. So it looks like this, and maybe it's a better way of writing it, AB transpose is equal to B transpose times A transpose, so you reverse the order and transpose individually. If you take the transpose of something twice, you know, you flip it and you flip it back, so that stays unchanged, so X transpose transpose is just X. And now here's the bit where I have to kind of just ask you to take some things on faith. <laughs> um, if you take a symmetric matrix, a symmetric matrix is one that is a mirror image of itself. By definition, if you transpose it, it doesn't change. So the transpose of the symmetric matrix is, is um, the same as itself. You'll have to trust me on this. X prime X is, tra- is, is symmetric. Inverses of symmetric matrices are symmetric. so the transpose of this is, is, is unchanged. So you get x x prime x inverse there. So skip some steps that in a matrix, well, if, if you take 100c you'll cover this. So if you don't know it now you'll know it later. Now did I oh I left my. Oscillator. So you can write it a little meter. So now we've got no. Now you've got sigma squared. No, like like I said, I mean I'm, I'm doing this mostly because some of you have seen it before, and and it'll help solidify it. And if you haven't seen it before, you hopefully will see it later. Um, but this at least helps put some of the more vague things we said on on a little firmer territory. So we've got x prime x and it's being multiplied by the inverse there so these things cancel each other out and you get this. And that's our variance. And again this is assuming that the model is well specified, you know it's fully specified and all that sort of stuff and we'll see what happens when it's not. So a lot of algebra. Um, this term either this time this or this time that they're the inverses of each other and again I mean it's kind of hard to parse just what this is except it's sigma squared divided by some sums of squares and last, last quarter on your homework you worked out what this was in the two by two case um, when you have a uh, uh, simple linear regression and it looks something like this um, x i squared, the sum of the x i squared over n times sum of x i minus x bar squared. This is minus x bar over the same thing. And this one was one over So so that's something you did for homework last quarter to to go from that step, in this case a simple regression, to what those terms turn out to be for the variances. So this is telling us how the intercept varies, how our estimate of the intercept varies. This is how the estimate of the slope varies, and this is how the two of them are, are related to each other, how they vary together. And the thing that's kind of nice about all of these is they depend on this xi minus x bar squared, which tells us that the bigger that this is, then the smaller the variance is and the more precise our estimate is. Which tells us that what we really like is we like to look at predictor values that are really well spread out uh, because then you get um, smaller standard errors. So these are, are are measuring the standard error. Okay. One other thing: in practice, we don't know what sigma squared is, so we often estimate this. So this is a kind of a tedious notation, but we usually need to find an estimate of what this thing is because we don't know what sigma squared is. So we just replace it with an estimate. And what we use is the residual sum of squares divided by n minus t. And residual sum of squares is, I always forget, is... Um, difference, the residuals squared and added up. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so so this is going to come back to haunt I mean, not these equations, but the actual results are going to come back to haunt you a little later because we're going to keep using them. Uh, so I'm just kind of giving you all of the players now. In the next few days, we'll we'll see how they they interact in the story. Um, but first, are there any questions about the algebra or anything like that? Sure. Yeah. So, about last term by M1. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, just write it like this. So, just to tell you what the residual sum of squares is. Okay, so let's talk about omission bias. So what we're what we're trying to get at now, after we've worked out the math, is this problem of how are you going to actually build a model given a set of variables, and how are you going to know which ones are the best ways of predicting the response. And one thing we talked about last time, but I want to show you this time, is that it's possible that working under the best intentions and using the best of everything we've talked about so far, you can still end up with a biased model. And one way of getting that is to leave terms out that should not have been left out. And so what we've got is this concept of active variables. So A is the set of all relevant predictors. And B is the set of inactives, and these are irrelevant. So, you know, when you're studying a phenomenon such as the weight of a baby. You can come up. You can use all the best medical theory in the world to tell you what factors should lead to a baby's weight being one thing or another. Um, but probably you'll dream up some that really are not important or really don't matter. Um, but also probably you'll leave some out, and so that's where the bias comes from—is leaving some of these things out. So what we want to talk about is, is, is just what that bias is. Now there are two ways you can leave things out. Um, one way is you leave things out because you just didn't think of them or you didn't have access to it. And this is a problem with statisticians because we often get a data set and the person collected the data and they said, here, find the relationship. Um, and you just have that data to work with, like the API data, and you just have the gauge. Probably there are other factors out there that affect school performance that they didn't measure and so you don't have them. And maybe someone out there knows of other factors but they didn't get them collected. Um, And that's going to lead to some bias in your, you know, could be big, could be small, but it's going to lead to some bias in your model. The other way that you can leave terms out is doing what we've been doing all quarter, which is you fit a model, you look at the things that have big p-values, and you say, ah, that's an insignificant slope, Uh, I'm going to take it out. And that's uh, a different type of bias, which is a little more serious that we're going to talk about uh, later next week. There's actually a third type of bias I forgot to mention, too. Uh, that collinearity causes biases also. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk it. it collinearity, collinearity biases the variance terms. So the, we first took the expected values because this omission problem affects the expected values. Then I all wanted to show you what happens with the variance terms because collinearity between the variables causes, affects this variance term. So we'll, we'll get and study that uh, next week, we'll look what the effects are. So let's look at this omission bias term, let's assume, so here's, here's the true model. So um, you know I just, I'm, uh, I'm slow to the bandwagon, but I just got SimCity on my, on my computer the other day, so <laughs> I'm slow to join the bandwagon, but you know how you get to play God and you get to say these are the parameters. You know, this is, so we're going to do that now, and we're going to say this is what this is how birth weight behave <laughs> uh, <laughs> No, no, it's a little more updated than that. <laughs> uh, rush hour. Four. Okay. Yeah, I'm not going to do that either. <laughs> but we're going to do one change here. <laughs> we're just going to break this up arbitrarily into two groups of predictors. So think of y as being birth weights and you know we saw like ten variables just arbitrarily put four of the predictors here and four, or five, or six of them over here just to break them into two groups. Because what we want to see is what happens if we leave some of these out. So this is the truth. Birth weight really does depend on these parameters and these parameters. But now we're going to fit We leave some terms out. So we fit small model. And what we want to see now is, is, is what the bias is in this. So what we end up with, so We don't get to see because we don't know that these predictors exist. So we don't get to see the B predictors. So our whole prediction is based just on the A set, so we only get to see those values. And so we, we get this as our um, as our predicted values. Yeah? Can you say that again? If, it's inactive, like if, if they're inactive, it doesn't lead to buy it. So these, and that's why I say this is the true model, because all of these terms are active. So i should make a note here. So so this is the perfect model. It has only the active terms and all of the active terms and no inactive terms. Our model is less than perfect. It has no inactive terms, but it leaves some of the active terms out. So we did a good job. We didn't put any useless variables in, but but we didn't put all the useful ones in. And now what we want to look at is, is what is the expected value of our estimates. Um, So maybe I should just back up here a a second and say that the truth is, what's the expected value of Y under the true model? It's the expected value of XA times beta A plus the XB times beta B plus the random noise. So it's going to be XA beta A plus XB beta B. So this is the true mean. If, if we if we had included all the this is in reality what the mean is. So now when we compute this thing, this is all a constant. So it just comes outside, and then we get. So now do, you know, do the distributive multiplication, multiply this out, and this turns out to be, so x prime, x inverse, x prime, these are all A's, plus the same thing, times x beta B, beta B, sorry for the writing here, rewrite that in a neater way, write it here we get, to make a long story short, beta A plus X prime X inverse X prime. If we had an unbiased estimator, the expected value of the beta of these sets of parameters would be equal to this and they almost are but they're equal to this plus this, so this is the bias. Okay, so it's hard to look at this and see just what advice this has to tell us about what to do to avoid bias. But, you know, for one thing, if, if these turn out to be really big numbers, <laughs> this is going to be a, a, a big amount of bias, <laughs> you know, big relative to this. And you know, these, there's an X prime X's here, so again, if, if these are um, very well spread out, then, then maybe this bias isn't quite such a big problem, but you, you know, it, it, it's kind of too complicated to really predict <laughs> uh, exactly what to do to minimize the bias, but you can see that, the more terms that you've left out, the bigger this number is going to be. Because what this is essentially doing is it's doing linear combinations of the missing parameters. And so the more of them you leave out, the bigger this bias term is going to be. So what this is basically saying is you shouldn't be leaving terms out if you want to keep your bias down. So if, uh, uh, let's say the true one, mm-hmm. the true model had an A, B, and C, uh-huh. so our bias would be that plus the same thing except change on these. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, let's think in terms of, of um, the birth weights. So let's say that we looked only at the mothers and the fathers' age. So the bias, we, we would get good parameters for the mother's age and the father's age, um, but we would have left out number of, of weeks of gestation. We would have left out uh, the weight gain. We would have left out the amount of smoking. All those things would be added together in some linear combination based upon the. the the values we see, and they would inflate the, they, they would add to the bias. If We put them all in, then this, essentially what happens is, is you take terms out of B and you put them into A, these things shift over to here, and the bias goes down. So in a nutshell, that's the problem, is we don't want to leave terms out. What we're going to talk about on Monday is that this gets more complicated um, if we look at the data to determine which variables leave in and out. Now. If we're lucky, if all of the variables, the predictors are independent of each other, so that means um, that they're statistically independent of each other, but also in terms of linear algebra, that none of them is a, a linear combination of the other, then our procedures that we've talked about in class so far work perfectly well. You can, uh, you can look at the small p-value, and you can take them out. But almost always, as we saw in this data set, these predictor variables are, uh, are not independent, they're associated with each other. And when that happens, uh, as you take variables out, it causes a, a more bias. And, and we'll look at that, it's called the, uh, the selection bias next time. Uh, and we'll also see the effect that it has on the, on, on the variance. So um, if you haven't read it already, the very first section of chapter 10 goes to a simulation. And uh, I'll go over that simulation again on Monday, but it would help if you read it first, to just kind of get the lay of the land to are getting that. OK, please remember to turn in your homework. Yeah. Can you set up all the Oh, I haven't set up office hours stars yet. Um, they'll probably be the same as last quarter, so Monday and Thursdays. Or by appointment. Hmm? I don't know. Yeah, something like that.